0: Welcome to Zero Trust 30. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and this is the show that helps you make sense of the cybersecurity sensation that is Zero Trust. Today marks episode one of Zero Trust 30, and our topic is chaos, which is very nice because if this all goes sideways, then I can pretend like it was all on purpose. But first, I'm not gonna go at this alone, nor am I qualified to do so. My co-host today is Jason Garbus. He is the Chief Product Officer at AppGate, Uh, The co-chair of the Cloud Security Alliance Zero Trust Working Group and also the co-author of Zero Trust Security and an Enterprise Guide. Jason, go ahead and give our audience a warm greeting so we know you are here and real.
1: I am real and I am here. And thanks, George. Looking forward to the conversation today. And we also, we're also
0: welcoming uh, our esteemed guest for today, Dr. Chase Cunningham, also known as Dr. Zero Trust. Uh, Chase has authored a book on cyber warfare and recently a fictional novel called Gabriel, also on cyber. Uh, he has more than 20 years of experience in the cybersecurity industry, including within the Fed, and helped to develop Forrester's Zero Trust certification program, uh, as well as was the driving force for the Zero Trust Extended Ecosystem Framework um chase thanks for joining us today
2: yeah i gotta tell you uh, i'm a little miffed because uh, uh, you guys beat me to the name like zero trust 30 i <laughs> saw that and i was like wow that's a good one well done well done
0: i would be lying if we didn't have you in our minds when we were thinking about building it um and i was gonna say if, if you're dr zero trust i wonder can we give jason i know we've played around with mr zero trust i was thinking professor zero trust i don't know what sticks jason
1: I think uh, I'm happy to go with Mr. Ah,
0: Cool. All right. So before we jump into our topic today, uh, we do want to kind of do a quick warm-up segment. We'll do this for every podcast and every guest. Uh, It's going to be called What's Bugging You? And the whole idea is basically anything in the cybersecurity or zero-trust space that is just rubbing you the wrong way. Uh, Chase, we've heard you plenty of times. I listened to your podcast.
2: I know there's many things out there that are rubbing
0: you the wrong way. So what is, what is top of mind for you
2: today? Are you going to ask the, the angriest man in cyber, what bothers him? Yeah, right. That could be a funny day. Um, I mean, I think the one thing that I keep running into is these, like the, the folks that still have this kind of attitude of like, it's, this is hard and I, this is too difficult for me to do. And they're stuck in the question phase of, you know, I don't know if I should get engaged here or whatever. Like, you've the ship has sailed um honestly if i'm if i'm a company and i'm like moving on this strategy and i'm engaging in this i would actually be fine with other folks continuing to hem and haw about not doing zt because guess what you're now the slow gazelle on the serengeti um they'll get you they won't get me you know it's one of those kind of positions of you know on a personal level it irks me but on a uh if i put myself in a you know winner's mindset I'm okay with other people not catching up because we're running in front of the horde. You trip and fall. I'm not pulling you up.
0: That's interesting. And maybe we could even apply some of that today to the conversation around chaos, right? It almost feels like some people might have paralysis because of all of the problems facing them. And I get it, right? You know, you can't make excuses at the end of the day. Jason, what about you? What's, 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 what's irking you today?
1: It's um, I think the, the organizations that can't even do the basics of there's just dumb stuff, I'm sorry, that they're doing like they're exposing their domain controllers to the internet or they're exposing their business applications to the internet with known vulnerabilities or they're deploying cloud services with read-write access to the world. I mean, these are mistakes that shouldn't be made that put these organizations at significant risk of either data breach or uh, malicious attackers getting in and ransomware in the organization. These things shouldn't be happening.
0: So we've got doing nothing, and doing stupid things. Those are the two things that are bugging us. Awesome. So today's topic is all around chaos. Uh, And we're going to be kind of looking at the the past couple of years. You know, the pandemic has been a big catalyst for a lot of change in the cybersecurity and IT landscape. You know, we've had a a huge shift over to remote work, uh, dispersed and hybrid workforces mixed with, you know, an increased adoption of the cloud. If there ever was a sense of the perimeter had having been broken a few years back, I'd say it's absolutely dissipated and shattered now. Uh, it, accelerated digital transformation also came out of the pandemic. You saw a lot of people having to shift their business models and lean into aggressive IT strategies in order to stay relevant and adopt and, and, and adapt to the changes in the market themselves. Then there's breaches, Way too many to count, you know, ransomware has always been top of the headlines for the past few months. Uh, Misinformation campaigns, phishing, third party is huge for everybody. It just seems like every time you turn around, there's something new in the news that is absolutely impacting everybody. And I don't know, maybe that's a factor of, you know, it becoming more mainstream and people are now paying attention and we can talk about that Uh, to, to make things worse, skill shortages in cyber. Um you know, even with the pandemic itself, there's this idea of the great resignation. You know, I think that applies to all industries, but as you apply it to cyber, who has always been relatively anemic when it comes to the talent of doing high skill, high impact things, it doesn't help. Um, and to top it all off, confusing vendor landscape. You know, Chase, I was uh, listening to one of your podcasts the other day with Dan uh, Dan Wilder, and he was talking about SOS, right? The, the shiny object syndrome. And I thought that was really interesting and I think you you think about all these problems you have to solve and then you have all of these tools that you could potentially throw at those problems to solve them and I can see how it can become very paralyzing to make a decision and actually understand where to turn or what to adopt to actually solve those problems so with that uh let's go into kind of you know breaking down this landscape and hearing from the two of you first of all you know do you really the two of you have been in this much longer than I have right um Is it more chaotic today, now, or are the realities of the past few years just bubbling up into the spotlight and people are paying attention?
2: I mean, I I think that uh, anyone waiting for chaos to subside is waiting for the earth to stop spinning. So, I mean, I would say (laughs) just abandon all all hope ye who enter here if that's your approach to solving the problem because it's not going away. Um, It's, you know, speed is becoming even more speedy and... The increased adoption of new things becomes even larger as well, uh, and uh, the the trend is not in favor of people standing around waiting for chaos to to stop. So you have to accept that that's the reality, and I think that that's a problem that we have too. Is a lot of folks um, like you, you know, you talked about the other day when I was talking with uh, Dan, is you're you're looking for perfection and you're looking for some shiny thing on the hill that says, "Follow me, and thou shalt have." awesomeness or whatever not going to happen um you know you've got to put things in place you've got to start moving you you know the requirement is here for planning for strategy and and really focusing on the long-term effects and you're not going to be perfect perfection is not achievable just like in your personal life right i mean even pick the most perfect person you know and i guarantee they got skeletons in the closet and something's not right jason what say you
1: Things have gotten a lot more complicated, for sure, with the not only the, the COVID-driven work from home, but the really broad adoption of new types of technologies and resources and platforms that organizations are using to deploy workloads and do really interesting things. But that's really amplified the degrees of freedom, if you will, that the network team and the security team and the compliance team have to all manage and understand. And that's, always, that's definitely contributed to to the chaos, and I, I have a lot of empathy for our enterprise customers who have to try to keep all these balls in the air and juggle while you know on this unicycle that's on fire in this uh, this heightened threat landscape that we live in. Um, I do think that clearly there are ways that they can and should start to put some parameters around this so that they can have high velocity. Um, and high velocity organization—a way to deliver code, a way to deliver access for their users—you know—and give the users the freedom that they need inside these parameters without it, without it becoming completely chaotic. Uh, but that's that's definitely a stepwise process too. It's not an overnight thing.
2: Unicycle on fire. I want that T-shirt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so unicycle's on fire. I guess you know—is that the reality of a CSO today? Is that is that what it looks like for them? Um, you know, if you were to think about the interactions you have with people actually on the front lines. I think coming at it from a vendor perspective, it's very different than actually being in the driver's seat, right? And being responsible for making sense of this chaos and, and defending your organization for the two of you. What do you think
2: the reality of a CISO looks like right now? I mean, in my opinion, what I see from folks doing workshops and whatever else is it's uh what's that, that Dennis Rodman book, bad as I want to be, right? I mean, that's kind of what it is. It's like how, how bad do you want it to be and how you know willing are you to engage in um, continued you know, shenanigans around solving the problem? The folks that I talk to that are taking a step back, that have realized that there's an opportunity to re-architect, that there are better solutions in the market and are really planning and plotting for um, a realistic approach to the long term, they're doing the right thing and they're seeing improvements and they're able to tell people that, like Jason said, in the realm of things that matter to the business, you know, business objectives, user engagement, et cetera, et cetera, that, that it's getting better. Um, and then there's the other side of the coin where it's the folks that, and it's a lot of times it's not the CISO it's whatever poor schmuck has been woken up and told, Hey, remember that CEH class you went to five years ago? Yeah. And now you're the CISO. Um, so, Oh, by the way, figure out how we don't get hacked that are just chasing, you know, they are on the unicycle on fire um you know writing down a razor blade and it it's only going to get you know more complicated for them so it's um there's there's a pretty clear line in the sand of who's doing what where and you can see it when you actually engage with them uh that, that the, the ones that understand it see the value and are getting the value out of the the change and approach and the opportunities that are here
0: i, I wonder are there, are there any uh you kind of compare and contrast, right? The two different types of CISOs, you know, the ones that are maybe thrown into it and said, Now now it's your responsibility versus the the CISO who is being a little bit more programmatic or pragmatic and programmatic about the way in which they do these things. How what would you say are some of the surrounding contextual factors for a CISO that's set up for success? You know, are they are they given is it, is it budget? Is it support? Is it, is it tenure? Is it, is it, you talk about, you know, I've heard different uh, people talk about the difference between a technical CISO versus a business minded CISO, you know, what's the magic sauce, right? If you even been able to just wrap your head around this chaos and find a starting
1: point. I I would say from my side that there's no single recipe and you, we've certainly seen both business oriented and technical CISOs be successful, but a lot of it depends on the organization. I think, for technical leaders as well, it is going to be a stretch and in some cases a challenge for them to be able to at least speak a little bit of the business language and sell what they're trying to do, this journey to zero trust, to other areas of the business. But it can also be one of the most rewarding um, and helpful for the organizations. I mean, some of the customers that we have, the most successful ones are those who they put in place this platform around zero trust. And they have they develop partnerships with application owners and the lines of business and after the first one or two projects, even if they're really small projects, are successful, then they end up with you know, this virtual line, door of people in the business who say, hey, I want my application onboarded. I want my new project onboarded to this platform because I'm hearing great things about what it provides. And what the business people really care about is simplicity, user experience, getting rid of friction. And the security team knows that they're also getting significantly improved security behind the scenes, as well as compliance for that matter.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, have said it repeatedly to, to folks like, uh, I, if I could go back and redo the school, um, sort of approach over again, I would go back and do business stuff and not do the uh, computer science side of it. Cause I think really where you wind up hitting the wall is we have a lot of really brilliant people in the computer science spot that are trying to do business things and they don't necessarily get the translation that has to occur there. And it, it's not that they don't, that they're not capable of understanding business stuff. You've if you're those folks you've been steeped in one side of the of the equation for a long time. That's where you were trained. That's where you grew up. You built your career to that level. That's what you know. And then now we have this twist of, hey, if you want to win, you need to be able to talk business, which is pretty orthogonal um, to, to what you know we've grown up in. And I'm including myself in that mix. And it, it 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 becomes harder. So I I you know, I think where we're at, the folks that do really well, like Jason said, they've got enough knowledge on either side to be dangerous, but they're not married to any one sort of discipline. Um, and they're, they're willing to give and take from either side with strengths and weaknesses and et cetera. And, and the, other, the other piece is, I see a lot of people that are really good at this that are also willing to um, accept they're not good at something.
1: I think that's, um, that's important too, is this self-awareness of, if I'm a CISO and I recognize I'm really good at this, but I'm not great over here, I can rely on some trusted lieutenants and people in my organization to help me out, and whether that's speaking or crafting business language or doing more technical things. I mean, that's the key to success in anything: is you know, know where you're good, know where you're weak, ask some good questions, and don't be afraid to ask for help.
0: And, and maybe this is too simplistic of a way to ask the question, right? But what, you know, one of the things we were going to pose right here is is what is the biggest challenge facing organizations? And as we're talking, i you know, I want to kind of reframe the question: is is it the is it the the technical capabilities of being able to solve the issues that are most challenging, or the more political business roadblockers within organizations? That's a bigger challenge. You know, if you had if you had to pick one over the other, which one would you rather have to go and solve, and which one would be easier to solve?
2: I mean, my opinion, te- technology wise, we've solved this problem. Like we have the technology in the space to, to solve the the, the issues that. The stuff that we're solving for in many, many, many instances is not excessively complex. I mean, you're not, you don't need a a quantum nuclear reactor to set MFA on people's accounts. That solves a large portion of your problem space. You don't need, you know, some uh, Tesla powered, whatever, supercharger thing to basically isolate an application. Like the things that we need to do the right stuff, the technology exists. So where we, have the continued disconnects and and the issues of running into the wall is the ability of those people that understand the technology to get the folks that don't know why the hell they need this other thing to put it in place and engage with it and use it and make sure that they understand that there's a value proposition out of that and that that's going to be what eats you alive most of the time um you know i that's why i said at the beginning when you kind of asked what irked me like i'll I'll die on the hill that the technology that we need in the space is available. Um, it's here. It's whether or not you can put it in place and whether or not you can get the people that cut the checks to let you put it in place that makes the difference.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll second that, is that we've got some great technology in the zero trust space, and using that makes these things a lot easier. But you could even take older uh, and more traditional technology, and if you have the right people and programs and you can get rid of some of these political obstacles, inside of organizations you can do a pretty darn good job even with older technology it's harder but it's not the technology is not what's holding us back and we see this with the way enterprise networks are designed and whether you have political pushback because you know you're going to get rid of my uh my my next gen firewall when you pry it from my cold dead hands or you've got compliance requirements that are very backwards looking that say nope a network has to be set up this way which causes undue constraints and concessions in other areas. We've seen those types of things a lot.
0: Are you too optimistic that the the, the 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 rest of the business outside of the security and IT teams are starting to wake up a little bit to the realities of this chaotic world and see the threats and and, and see what's happening in the headlines? Like is it is it in the is it going in the right direction and, and just maybe not fast
2: enough? Um I mean, me on a personal level, I am because three years ago, two years ago, I never had conversations with people that aren't in cyber about cybersecurity. Now, every time I'm playing golf or I don't know, doing something and I run into somebody, I say, what do you do for work? And I say, oh, cybersecurity. And immediately they go down into some conversation about something that either happened to them or someone they know or whatever. And they keep asking, you know, what are we doing? And uh, so the fact, in my opinion, that we're having those conversations and I, I'm engaged in them outside of. You know, the 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 three friends that I have, um, it it seems to be more indicative that there's that there's a broader adoption of at least the conversation, which is a very good, good thing, in my opinion. I, you know, are we do I see the uh, the sun breaking and the dawn coming? Not yet, but I think we're getting closer to maybe, I don't know, midnight. There you go.
0: Okay. So, um, we can go ahead and transition then over to the, to the next segment here, right? Which is basically, okay. We talked about the chaos and I I love the direction that we went with talking about the business versus the technical needs. Um, how do we control this chaos? And I think this is where we introduce really the idea of zero trust, right? And obviously everyone here has got a vested interest in zero trust and has been talking about it for, for very, very, very long. Um, it seems as though the zero trust market has uh, really taken an uptick and has built a lot of awareness um, and it seems like adoption is going into the right direction. You know we've seen the rise of the executive order, the NIST architecture. Um, marketing has has absolutely jumped on the zero trust bandwagon for 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 both good and bad. What are the mechanisms within zero trust that, Allow somebody to take back some of this control. Like, try at its at its most basic sense, right? Like, what are the core components of a zero trust architecture that help solve some of this chaos right out of the gate?
1: Yeah, for, for me, I think it's really the, the principle of least privilege and default deny. So, in a zero trust architecture, no matter how narrowly you decide to deploy, it, even if it's one application, one service on the network as a starting point, that. Unless you're positively authenticated and you're positively evaluated and given a uh, given access through the evaluation of a policy, you're not going to get any access to that application whatsoever, not at the network level, not on an application layer. So I mean, that is the core and the starting point, really, of ensuring that I get complete control over access to it and people who are unauthorized or identities and devices that are unauthorized aren't going to get any access whatsoever. And that's a really, really strong foundation to build off of compared to a wide open network where you're trying to subtract things, that's a lot harder versus a completely closed network where you're explicitly adding things.
2: Chase, you got any thoughts? Well, I mean, I think in the technology space, it, it really boils down to solving some of the things that are much simpler to begin with. And I mean, y'all have done a good job of putting out some of the maturity curves, and there's been a, Jason published a great book on this whole thing. Like there's there's a way to walk towards, you know, the the the, the pinnacle here, and it, it doesn't start with really complex things. Um, you you start with really simple stuff. I honestly think uh, when we look at the original model, with the idea of discovery of data and then putting you know the the sort of dynamic controls around data that might have been really doable 15 years ago, but now when we are more knowledge based and we do create valuable quote data all the time in a whole bunch of different ways, trying to solve that problem first is is not an easy thing to do. Um, I, I you know so. You've got to kind of change the approach. You boil off what you can boil the quickly, and then you move forward from there. And also, there is um, there is kind of a point where you go, good enough, right? I mean, like we've talked about, and this this is the other thing. If you said, what else irked me? It's the other thing of people going, well, you said zero trust, and you can't ever get to zero. Correct. Just like a bodybuilder body that wants to get to zero body fat will die. Like, you have to have some of something so that you can function, but... You don't go in and go, hey, let's get to half trust, because number one, that sounds dumb, and number two, it's never going to be anything that's actually applicable. Um, you have to put some push into the into the move, and that's where I think that they, you know, gain gain that last piece of uh, of beachhead.
1: I, I think that's good. Uh, that's good advice. Is look, start with something that's imperfect, and don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. But for goodness' sake, just get started. And we've certainly seen, if you look at the two extremes, uh, enterprises who Deploy something in two, three, four weeks, and it starts to add value. And maybe it's a handful of applications and 50 users, but it's a great starting point, and they can start to build momentum. Versus, we've seen organizations that struggle sometimes because they they want to solve every single problem up front, and they spend you know months and months in some cases over you know years looking at this, doing analysis before they deploy you know any significant number of users, and that's been an impediment to to their success because they have to take it on faith that they and their team have these capabilities they don't know all the answers you don't even know all the questions up front but um, that you'll be able to figure this out and let's start to deploy this and start to get some victory and some momentum step by step and piece by piece
0: now, that makes a lot of sense um you know I guess you kind of bring this back to the to the beginning topic right when we talk about the business challenges and, and and elevating this up to the board what are some of the you know when I think about zero trust it's like okay you have this security paradigm shift. So inherently, there's benefits around security and securing workloads and data and networks and, and locking things down so people can access it. But I think what we started to see as well is that there's also business benefits that people might not be paying much attention to outside of just greater access control into things, right? And so what has what have you two seen that has kind of come about in the past few years just around how you could articulate, look, this is great for security, but it's also great for you, you know, CIO, CEO, you know, CRO, these things are going to drive business and I can prove it. Like what would those, what would those things be?
2: I mean, for me, I put it in my workshops. I have a slide where I've pulled together a bunch of the data on this. And there's four things you see from everybody that I've worked with engaged in ZT. Number one, they reduce security costs because they get rid of stuff that's double dipping. I can't count the number of times I see stuff double dipping on solving very same similar problems that you don't have to have. I don't need two life preservers, right? I need one that works so they don't drown. I don't need a second one to make me look cool in the water. So that's a real thing. Number two, your, your employees actually become more engaged. Like they sort of give feedback on security and it's because they're using the product and using the offering. Number three, You'll save about $2 million if you do have a breach, just based on sort of a baseline analysis on what the numbers show. So, the board always asks that question about, well, why should I do this and how will this help us recover from a breach, or whatever else? If I, my question then is, if I walked in and laid $2 million on the table today, would you take it? Absolutely, yes. Okay, then let's just mark that down. And then the fourth one is that you're actually able to put product and techno- technologies out the door faster in a more secure fashion. So, find me any business that doesn't want those four immediate benefits, and you know I'll send them back to business school because they're not really seeing the value of what they're doing anyway.
1: I think that what Zero Trust can also do is it can, first of all, it can directly deliver improved business benefits. And these are things like reducing user friction, reducing help desk load for access-related things like password resets or whatever it is in that specific environment. And we've certainly seen enterprises who have... Drop that kind of help desk related uh, access related help desk load by up to ninety percent. We've also seen organizations really use these zero trust capabilities as a way to transform elements of their business. Something as simple as even onboarding new users, where we've seen we have one customer that was able to reduce typical onboarding time from four weeks down to less than a week. Because guess what? Now they can ship a laptop directly to the user and they have a secure way of onboarding them instead of having to get the laptop to IT get it provision and send it back to them and i think if that's that's an interesting scenario because it's not just not just involving security it's a rethinking of a whole IT and HR process here that has tremendous benefits uh, but is now more secure and more efficient
0: that's great Hey, listen. Um, I really appreciate you guys joining us today. I think we can kind of start wrapping up the conversation before I summarize everything, um, and then we're going to do a quick game with Chase. You know, are there any final any final thoughts that you would want to bring to the equation? I know, Chase, get ready. It's it's going to be it's going to be fun.
2: I mean, I think it's in my opinion, it's pretty simple. If you uh, if you imagine you were in a room and you saw everyone else doing something that you knew was going to lead them to a bad place, would you do the same thing? Logically, everyone says, "Uh uh-uh, no. So we're in a space where we have 30 years, 40 years of proof that the other approach isn't going to actually make a difference in the long run. Your choice is to continue to engage in a known failed practice or, like Jason said, accept that there's a different way of doing things and you're not going to be perfect and start moving. Um, And that... That's really as simple as it makes it to me. So, you know, I I, I just can't, um, uh, I refuse to accept the argument from folks anymore that there's another way to approach this problem. It, it, it's here. You have the proof, you have the evidence, we have the technology. What's your other reasoning?
1: I fully agree with everything Chase said. And also that really, I view it as an opportunity for security leaders inside enterprises to, um, to really Pull and push and pride their organizations forward, this really is a demonstrably better way to achieve security. And I think we all have responsibilities to get our organizations away from traditional failed methods and into this new place that's a lot better. It's not perfect, but it's a lot better and it makes us a lot more resilient. And it gives security professionals the opportunity to really get better visibility and to really be a leader inside that organization to deliver both business as well as security benefits and learn a lot along the way.
0: No, that's awesome. I mean, I'm here and learn your business and learn how to talk to your business about zero trust and security. Be, be okay with good enough. Good enough is better than nothing. And 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 just get started and and find those logical starting places and do not bite off more than you can chew. Do not expect to have... You know, like Chase, you were talking about securing of the data. Do not anticipate that your maturity curve is going to go from zero to 100 overnight and be okay with incremental steps. Just do something different now. So let's let's do the fun part of this. So, Chase, this is a game that we're going to play. Uh, The whole idea is to kind of put the human behind the expert, so to speak. Right. And so we're just going to do some rapid fire questions. They are not cybersecurity related. Fire off the hip. Uh, Here we go. We're going to have five. If you had a superpower what would it be flying okay who would you play in a movie and before you answer that i gotta say if you look at your linkedin account you've played many people in movies nowadays but if you had your dreaders, who would you play in a movie benedict
2: cumberbatch just because i like his name
0: okay fair enough uh are you an early bird or a night owl
2: early bird by far yeah i don't make it past eight thirty at night <laughs>
0: and then how early you like 4 a.m yeah yeah is, is that
2: just is that because of kids, or just that's when you like to be up and moving? My uh, For a whole bunch of factors, but um, one of them is once, my, uh, once the, the, the two-cycle motor that is my brain starts cranking, I'm not going back to sleep, so it just seems to start firing off about 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> there you go. When you were a
0: kid, what did you want to be when you grew up?
2: Ooh, good question. When I was a kid, what did I want to be when I grew up? Um... Uh, anything but a cybersecurity person (laughs) no i uh i I really uh for for me i I always wanted to um to to do government or military stuff i wanted to be you know military and uh in that in that space and i I got to do that luckily so
0: very nice uh what would you wait in a really really long line to buy
2: a new set of golf clubs maybe really do people wait in line for golf clubs no, but I, I really can't think of anything else that I would actually care enough about to wait for
0: <laughs> Well, I guess there you go, right? You're not really waiting in a line So maybe the li- the one person in front of you cashing out you can just wait in that line there Maybe go.
2: really good pizza? I don't know or- <laughs>
0: <laughs> So you're not out on Black Friday No All right,
1: no. I'd wait in line for a really good pizza too
0: All right, well, uh Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find the show notes and future episodes at appgate.com forward slash podcast. Uh, and if you are not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, this, is a, uh, this show is a production of AppGate. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts, the guests, and may not represent the views of the organization. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and you've been listening to Zero Trust 30. And that's it. Thanks, guys.